Hi, it's Cammy Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening from wherever you are listening from. Welcome to episode 12 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jamie Robinson. It's great to be back, and I'm once again joined by my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. Welcome, Dad. Hello, thank you. Um, thank you for joining us again on uh, this podcast. Uh, this week, we take a, a bit of a mini break from far distant heritage days and stay more recent and talk to a man who is keen in the resurgence of the club in the recent times, our present chief executive, Mr. Michael Carter. Welcome. Welcome. Yes, thank you, guys. Um, it's, it's a delight to be on and I'm, I'm looking forward to spending the next hour with you. Spot on. I mean, I think we'll, we'll just touch on present day at the, bit, at the minute. So, I mean, looking at the current current landscape of what we've done, we're zero and three going into the season. But everyone, including myself, is still really positive. Have, have you got kind of the same mindset as us? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know when we looked at the start of the season, um, and I'm never one to quibble about who the opening fixtures are. You know, we get what we get, and you've got to play everybody twice, and you play some three times. So it is what it is. You know, but we looked at the start of the season, and you know, we we knew it was an incredibly tough start. You know, who were buoyant on the signing of Luke Gale and you know I, I, look, I know Luke well and he always comes back to, to haunt me um, with some sort of uh, move during a game that, that generally has won them a game for Cass in the past and, and Leeds in the past as well so we knew that was a tough start and then back to back away visits to the two grand finalists um, you know the first one being a trip to France in, 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 to start off with which we all know you know there were, there were certain rules and regulations at the minute about whether you can get into France. And, you know, the, the irony of it all is it's actually easier to get into the country than it is to get into a stadium in France. So that's the sort of things that we were up against in week two. And, you know, we went with, uh, well, I, I text Lee about this, you know, 10 of our 17 and I think 13 of the 20 were academy homegrown players. So that made me incredibly proud. Um, you know, these things don't happen overnight. And I think, you know, one of my very first press conferences or, or fans forums going back eight, nine years now was that I wanted to uh, have a club that had a, an abundance of youth talent coming through and staying at the club and, and, and ultimately being the vast, vast majority of the squad. And whilst we're, we're still not where I want us to be, we're certainly making excellent progress on that, on that front. And I think, you know, in the past, we've probably given youth players um, you know, a debut or a game here and there and, and not really felt that they're perhaps ready to do so. But I certainly think with the, the current crop that we've got, that Willie's got no qualms whatsoever about any of them playing in, in a Super League game, which I think is a, a fantastic position to be in. So, you know, we went to France against the odds and, you know, with a, with a little bit of more luck, a little bounce of the ball here and there, you know, we could have absolutely come away with something there. So, Really proud of, of the efforts there. And then Friday night, I mean, I don't think I've seen us play defensively as well in my entire eight years. You know, you've got a Saints side there, I think, you know, probably averaging 30-odd points a game, certainly conceding, you know, I think 10 or 11 points a game over the last two and a half years. And we made more line breaks against them than any other club has for the, uh, you know, for the recent past. Um and again, with the look of a, a bouncing ball, you know, probably could have scored more points. So, 
again, delighted with with how we've uh, performed over over the first three games. And I think one of the key, certainly one of the key bits of feedback I've seen or read is um, about our fitness levels and about our determination to go for a full 80 minutes, regardless of what the scoreline is. Um, the, the other delightful thing on Friday was we tried to play. You know, lots of teams go to St. Helens and grind it out and niggle and wrestle and, you know, try and stop them that way. We tried to stop them by actually playing rugby league. And I thought, as I said, I thought it was an excellent performance. Um, you know, we don't want to be too, um, what's the word, congratulatory in defeat because obviously we want wins. Everybody wants wins. Um, but, you know, I, I think the first three performances have shown that when we get everybody fit and, and, and our best players on the, on the pitch, we'll be, we'll be a decent team. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we picked up a few more injuries on Friday night against St. Helens. Uh, and this week's team, you know, is going to have a um, probably a little bit of a makeshift look about it, which obviously we didn't want with it being home against Leeds. Um, but, you know, these players will come back and, and we'll be all the better for it. And I think there's probably going to be at least one, if not a couple more debutants this week. So Lee can get ready with his numbers again. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't really get any better, Michael, does it? Than a kind of a midweek evening kickoff against Leeds, does it? Uh, yeah, there, there is something special about uh, a night game, I think, against Dinos. And I, I think back to that um, that game when Richie Owen scored, um, you know, in the corner to give us the victory that night, uh, one of Webbo's first games. And I think, you know, nights like that, uh, you know, are really uh, uh, pleasurable as a as a CEO. And I guess as a fan, you know, even more so. So, yeah, under the lights on Sky against Leeds, uh, I've absolutely no doubt that uh, some of the big guns will be back for Leeds in terms of Harry Newman and Fuzzy Tua and, and players players like that. But like I say, you know, we, we've got confidence in our senior players. We've got confidence in our young kids. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll be giving it everything we've got. Spot on. So, as I'm sure you've heard, if you've listened to the podcast before and everybody out there, the first question we ask our guests is, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear Wakefield Trinity? Uh, for me, pride, because I, even though I wasn't born here, um, I moved here with my father and my mother in 1985 from the northeast. Um, so I've been here 37 years and for sure I absolutely class uh, Wakefield is my hometown. So when I hear the words Wakefield Trinity, it, it's pride in my hometown. Um, you know, we can go over the past 35, 40 years and there's not been a lot to be proud of in Wakefield. I think there's obviously a lot of things that have gone wrong. And I think they, you know, the council are doing the utmost now to try and resurrect some of the best parts of Wakefield and, and, and turn it back into a, a city that can, we can be proud of. But you know, I just I just have pride that we are the sporting um, ambassador for the for the city of Wakefield. You know, a city that doesn't have a football team. Um, I think probably one of the few cities that hasn't got a football team. Um, so I, I just I just feel immense pride that what we try and do in the community um, with our foundation, with our ambassador clubs, with the kids. For me, it was always about legacy and and getting kids to uh, joining a sport that will get them off their backsides and get them out enjoying outside activities. Um, because that, that's what I remember as a kid. I remember coming home from school at 10, 11 years old, and it was bags through the door, quick change, 
and out into the street or out in the field playing football, playing rugby, playing cricket. Unfortunately, society has got to a point where those things quite often are now not possible because we don't let our kids go three miles from home to go and play football or rugby. And, and that's what I did as a kid. Um, but that, that environment is, is no longer possible. So we've got a great responsibility as the sporting uh, icon of our city that we get kids involved in sport because it teaches them so much about friendship, camaraderie, obviously the fitness, you know, getting them, getting them fit and active um, and, and helping them to lead healthy lives. And, and that, that for me has always been my goal, I think, when I, when I first got involved, that I wanted to, I wanted to improve the, the sport, not only the sporting environment, but the sense of community environment in Wakefield, because I'm really proud to come from this, this city. And I tell everybody all the time, whenever I go on my travels, you know, I usually get two answers. And, and one is Wakefield Trinity. Oh yeah, I've heard of them, rugby league team. The other one is, where's Wakefield? That's the other answer I get. And you have to explain south of Leeds, which kills me, you know, <laughs> to, to have to say that. So I, I really want, I really want us to, to get us on the map even more. Um, but I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud every time somebody mentions Wakefield Trinity to me. I'm just proud of what we've done over the last eight or nine years, what we've achieved, and and how we've helped everybody. I think that that comes into contact with us, we've helped, and that's that's my feelings on it. Good stuff. Good answer. Uh, you've half mentioned. You've half answered the next one. Now we're just going to rewind a little bit further uh, about your background and where you're from. Now I know you're from the northeast. I've heard you mentioned Hull before before you got to yeah. Wakefield. So what's your background between northeast Hull and Wakefield? Yeah, I mean, I was born in Hull, um, and I think, you know, probably said it on many occasions, I actually went and watched the black and whites in Hull. My nana lived on the back of the boulevard, uh, and I used to stay there most weekends, and when Hull FC were at home, we would uh, sneak in, shall we say, as a young six, seven, eight-year-old. Um, but the entire, all the kids on, on, on my nana's street, you know, used to go and watch, and it was Arthur Bunting's regime, and... Uh, I said probably my first sporting hero was Steve Knockenorton. Um, and that's that's who I wanted to be when we played rugby league in the street. So, you know, that's but I left I left Hull when I was nine years old and, and my dad had a job in the bus industry and he got some rapid promotions and we we went all around the country. So I moved from Hull to Lincoln, then Lincoln up to Durham, I spent five years in Durham, and then eventually we came down to Wakefield. My dad got a job in Barnsley. And, uh, and we've been here ever since. And, you know, my dad still lives in the house that we first moved into. Um, but, you know, I, I, I flitted around the city ever since I came back from uni. I've, I've had numerous houses, but I've lived in I've lived in Renthorpe for the last 15, 16 years. Um, and it's absolutely what I consider to be home now. So, you know, whilst uh, whilst the northeast probably wasn't, well, it certainly wasn't a hotbed of rugby league when I was up there. It was all Newcastle and Sunderland. Um, you know, I think I come from rugby league stock in terms of Hull FC. Um, and I've just always been a massive fan of the game. Uh, never played, well, I played it once at uni, uh, played left centre, got tackled for the first time, played the ball the wrong way and decided it was not the game for me. Um, but certainly love to watch it. And now I would watch it above any other sport um, for somebody that's played football for, you know, 45 years of his life. I would still watch it in front of football now. I think it's um, it's still the the most honest game 
that we'll watch. And, you know, I, I get frustrated at times because I think things are creeping in from football, a little bit of play acting here and there and trying to milk penalties. But I still think we've got the most honest sport on the field um, that any sport could claim, you know, heritage to. So, you know, in a nutshell, that's that's my life. That's, you know, that's where I've been and, um, and happy to have ended up in Wakefield. You, you've got a bit of a football background because you, you, I know you played football and you were a, a bit of a, a Patrick Vieira-esque midfielder, I've heard from Mickey Amos. <laughs> oh, I wish, mate. I, um, now and again, I used, to, I used to perform in midfield, but I, uh, I certainly cut my teeth, I guess, at centre-half. Um, I, 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 fell, I fell into centre-half at, at default at university, um, but it was certainly probably where I played my best football and you know, played for some decent sides at Osset Albion and Liversidge and Ponty Coles and, and places like that. But, you know, uh, uh, that was my passion as a kid, was football. It, it's all I pretty much ever did, unless we were in the two summer months where we were playing cricket. Um, but other than that, it was football, football for me all the time. So really enjoyed it. Um, I'm, I'm struggling with a uh, no cartilage in one knee now, so that's frustrating me even more that I... I still can't play, but I've just had an op and I'm hoping to um, to get back playing at least a little bit of five-a-side at some point. So we'll see. What took you to the business side of things then, Michael, later on into you? Is that what you did at university? Uh, so when I came out of university, um, I'd got a degree in maths and uh, the idea was I was, you know, my dad at that point had, had, had um, funded a, a management buyout of the bus company that he was at. So... The plan was always to follow him into, uh, you know, the family business. Um, and I trained to be an accountant um, because, I, I, you know, I enjoy numbers. Maths, maths was something that came pretty easily to, to me rather than, you know, I struggled at English. Um, I guess more, I guess more pseudo Geordies do struggle at English. So there was always that. Um, but yeah, I, I trained to be an accountant. I did it over four years. I uh, got my qualifications and then I went into a management training course at, Yorkshire Traction um, started really at the bottom. You know, first day was cleaning buses, so that was a that was an eye opener. Um, performed every task. Went in the cash office for for three months. Absolutely loved that counting pound coins. It's um, it's something that uh, I still do now. I love counting money, so that's the that's the accountant in me as well. Um, and then ended up, you know, just before we we sold the business, I was. Deputy Managing Director to my dad, um, you know, running running three or four of our subsidiary businesses at the time. Um, but we 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 got lucky, you know. It's we we sold the business at the at really the right time. Um, and some people would claim credit for having foresight and stuff like that. A lot of it was just down to the luck and the timing of it. Um, but it was absolutely the right time to get out. Um, I spent five years on my first sort of what I'd call my retirement plan, um, watching my, my little boy grow up. And those were really great days that, you know, um, fathers just can't get back. You know, watching watching Bradley grow up every single day was fantastic. And then I uh, happened to go to a, a meeting about an artificial pitch, uh, which Andrew Glover was there at the time. And um, I must have said something along the, along the lines in the meeting that I was a little bit board and looking to do something and uh he phoned me up a couple of weeks later and and said do you fancy coming in and help us out with the um with the accounting side of, of things at Wakefield Trinity um and to be honest you know it was it was something right on my street because it didn't take a 
a great deal of time just to keep the books ticking over. Um, and it was, you know, it's something that just kept my brain sharp. So it, it kind of came along at the right time, really. Yeah, because we were, I mean, I feel like we've been struggling for a long time in terms of financial position from, from that time period. But, you know, we were struggling quite a lot then. And there was talk about moving us out of Super League for Celtic Crusaders and, and all of this. But I think Crusaders ended up dropping out. Um, what, what, what was the decision that brought you in permanently? That took, I think you ended up taking over Chris Brayton. Yeah, well, it was um, it was a strange time. We I'd been involved for about six months, and I remember that day actually when the when the licenses, the franchises, uh, got announced on Sky Sports, and we were actually sat on the the second floor of the hospitality. And I was I was only there because I'd been into where uh, to do the accounts uh, that morning, and we were sat there, and I, 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 I remember turning to Andrew and saying, "I've just got this funny feeling we'll get a franchise," and. Um, and they announced them, and if you remember, they did them in alphabetical, uh, alphabetical order. And I remember them skipping straight over Crusaders and thinking, oh, that's that's strange. Where, why haven't they announced them? And I'm, I'm thinking, is there a name change coming or anything like that? And then obviously it got near the end and, and they said the words Wakefield Trinity. And um, I mean, there was a lot of staff there that, you know, jobs were on the line on that day. Um, and there was just a big, there was a big sort of uh, cheer but then I just remember four or five players running out the door. And I'm thinking, that's that's a bit strange. And I went out onto the balcony because I think everybody had kind of gone out onto the balcony and was was having a drink and or phoning people. And I looked down into the into the uh, onto the pitch, and these four or five players were on the phones, and you know, it, it seemed a bit frantic to some of them. And uh, I later found out that they'd already signed up for other clubs <laughs> the following season. Because they thought that Wakefield Trinity weren't getting a franchise, um, so I think there's been some uh, backpedalling going on on the phone that day, or agent, you know, telling agents, "Oh, you're going to get me out of this mess," sort of thing. <laughs> so that was that was quite funny. Um, I left I left shortly afterwards, uh, but I gather the party went on all day, and I remember watching Calendar on the night. I think they'd sent a, a crew down. Um, to, to ask a few questions of Andrew. And there was certainly some uh, some rather drunk people on the balcony on that interview on calendar. So it was, a, you know, that was a, a really interesting time. Um, and then after that, Andrew came to me one day and just said, look, I think we need somebody full time. Um, you know, somebody that we can not only do the accounts, but can look at strategy and how we can raise revenue and all that sort of thing. And that certainly wasn't me at that time. You know, I've, I've never been one really that can focus on strategy and stuff like that. I've, I've more been a bean counter than a strategist. Um, so I said, look, that, that's fine, Andrew. I have no problem. You you know, you want me to walk away. That's absolutely fine. So I kind of left, but kept coming to games and, you know, kept kept interested, kept watching the, the team and going away and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and then about, I think it was about six, seven months later, um, you pick up on things that are happening around the club. And you could kind of get a sense that the odd bailiff was appearing <laughs> or the odd uh, summons from a court was landing on a doormat. And, you know, suddenly you're starting to think, well, hang on a minute, why can't we pay this bill? Why can't we pay that bill? And I think it came to a head in kind of May 2013-ish and um, they were way behind with the inland revenue and also Macron. Uh, they owed a, a boatload of money to Macron. And I think 
um, the Inland Revenue started the High Court proceedings at that time. And one of the quirks with a High Court proceeding is that as soon as somebody starts one, anybody else can jump on the back of it. So suddenly there was all these suppliers and, and you know, even smaller suppliers jumping on the back of this High Court summons. So clearly the club was in trouble. And um, I think for a couple of months, myself, Chris, and a, and a few others talked about what we felt we could do, what we, what we felt we could put in place. And eventually, to kind of cut a, a long story short, with the RFL's help, we came to a uh, sort of position where they would be happy for myself and Chris to take over the running of the club. Uh, they would loan us the money to, to pay off the high court summons. We'd pay that back over the course of, them. I think it was two or three years, um, and eventually work our way out of the financial predicament that we were in. Um, and I still remember the morning before we actually signed the, the paperwork for that, and we, me and Chris sat in the office and probably changed our minds sort of 10 times of whether we were going to do it or whether we weren't going to do it. And, um, and eventually we decided that we thought we could, we could turn it round. So we signed the papers, we got ownership of the club, um, and it, it all went from there. And I think there's two trains of thought that I've got now sat here sort of eight, nine years later is that uh, one, I'm incredibly proud that we paid everybody off. Um, I don't think there's anybody that didn't either get full settlement or we did a deal with where, you know, they, they at least got some of their money and were happy with what they got. So nobody lost any money during that, during that period. And that's, you know, my dad will tell you, you know, money and debts is something that's always been uh, very close to my heart that um, you shouldn't owe anybody any money. So I'm really proud of that. But the other part of me thinks what Bradford went through at the same time, they decided to bust the company. They got six points, which, you know, I think we could have lived with and probably saved themselves a million pounds in the process as well. So I've got to keep thinking to myself that just just be proud with what we did. Be proud of of what happened here, and and people worked really hard to make sure that everybody got paid. But equally, there was a there was a sort of uh, cheaper route, if you like, that we could have just taken six points. And I think I think that 2014 season we would have still survived if, even if we'd had a six point penalty. So and it would have saved us all a million pound in the process. But hey ho, you know that's that's life, isn't it? Very good, very good. Is that why you sold Tim Smith to Salford as soon as you came in? Ah, oh, first week. Yeah, first week. I think Tim went, obviously, Ben Kakane, Justin Poor. Um, if you remember that first week, we, we had to go to Huddersfield, who were playing for the League Leaders' Shield. Yeah. And uh, instead of having Tim Smith and uh, whoever else it was at the time, uh, we went with, I think, Liam Kay and Matty Wildey was, was Oh, that's that, right. Yeah, I just, pulled the, yeah. I just pulled the team up, yeah. Yeah. And um, we lost 40 nil. Uh, Danny Bluff picked up the hubcap at the end of it. And I'm sat there thinking, wow, is this, is this what we've um, let ourselves in for here? Um, but the, the, the Tim Smith one was funny because I sold him to Salford and, uh, and it was 70 grand was the transfer fee. And that was enough to, to kind of pay wages that month because it was right at the back end of August. But I was a bit worried that the funds wouldn't get transferred in time to pay wages. So I got in touch with the RFL and said, look, I've got this deal with Marwan. The, the invoice is done. I don't know when Marwan's going to pay me, but I need that 70 grand now. Any chance you could forward it to me, 
I can pay wages. And when I get off my one, I'll give you it back. So they did on the Friday afternoon. They sent me 70 grand. But at the same time, my one sent me 70 grand as well. <laughs> so suddenly I've got double bubble sat in the bank and I'm thinking, right, do I just do a runner now? Yeah, this is, this is great. I'm, I'm quids in. Um, so I, I, I took the wise decision of sending the money straight back to the RFL because I thought we'll only spend it if, uh, if we leave it in the bank. So that was that one. And then the week after the Huddersfield game, obviously we played Cass at home and the infamous, or oh, sorry, famous uh, Liam K hat-trick try on the Hooter, I think sent us all into the, the off-season absolutely uh, you know, ecstatic. Uh, at what we'd just seen, but you know that off season was was really hard work in trying to put together a, uh, a squad that we could afford uh, for next for the for the next season. I've got the transfers you you let go. You could t- let Tim Smith, um, yeah. Oliver Wilkes went to Lee, right? Kyle Amor, get, does it? I didn't get any money for Oliver, so no. Kyle, Kyle Amor sent Ellens, yeah, fifty grand. Oh wow! Well done. Let me write that down before I forget. <laughs> Good one. Don't tell the uh, tax man. No, no. Um, Paul <laughs> eight, Paul eight on leads. Uh, yeah, I'm not telling you the figure on that, but it was more than fifty grand. And and to be fair, Gary at Leeds did us a right favour because he made an offer on that that I accepted straight away. He had no reason to come in with the with the offer that he did. Uh, he could have probably just sat it out and picked Paul eight and up for free, eight and up for free. So. This club should be eternally grateful for Gary and, and the Leeds club at what they did that week. Oh, very good, very good. A couple went to all Kingston Rovers, Justin Poe yeah. and Ben Cookane. Yeah, I got a little bit for Ben. Um, the Justin one was more about getting him off our books because he was <laughs> the, I think he was the highest paid player at that time. Um, Danny Cowley went to Halifax, only a young kid. Yeah, I didn't get anything for Danny. Good kid though, really, really good kid, Danny. Yeah, and then Liam Kay went to Lee. Yeah, I didn't get anything for Liam as well. Uh, I, I actually tried to get Liam to stay, um, but Lee came in with a bigger offer to, uh, sorry, Lee came in with a bigger offer for Leah on his salary than we could actually afford. So we didn't we didn't want Liam to go, but he, um, you know, he wanted to protect his future. Um, and, and why wouldn't you? So yeah, it was, a, it was a busy couple of weeks that. Yeah. Um, hang on a minute. I was gonna. Do you remember? I've asked you this before, and we've come. We've got. We've come up with an answer, but it's wrong. You, you, I was. I was gonna say. Do you remember your first signing? Oh wow! First signing. Uh, well, I always thought I went to. Uh, I went to one of our academy players' houses and signed somebody, and I always thought that was my first signing in Jordan Crowder. But then the other one I think of at the time is Joe Arundel. Um, hang on a minute. I've lost it. It's not now. Hmm? You've stumped him now. It's actually. Yeah. Do you remember tonight signing Daniel Smith from South Sydney? Yes, I do. Right, and, and this is the reason why I don't count that as my first signing because we got Kath Heverington on board at that time, and Kath was doing all the rugby side rather than me. So I was I was absolutely just sticking to the figures and trying yeah. to put budgets together. And Kath did the first sort of recruitment drive. Bobbers. And the reason we got Daniel Smith was obviously the Leeds link, Gary, Kath, and all that sort of thing. So that's why the two I classes, I, I literally went to Geordie's house to sign him up from academy to professional. Um, but also, I think I'm sure we signed Joe Arundel in early 15. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and that was the 
that was kind of the first season where I'd contributed to picking players with, or sorry, not picking them, but, you know, signing players within the first team squad. So that's why I always count. I, I remember, I think I put a tweet out at the time when I was on Twitter saying, just done my first ever, first, first ever signing, oh, yeah. uh, proper signing. So that's why I classed Joe Arundel as that. We picked him oh, up, I'm sure it was early January, February, March, when he'd been yeah. paid off from Hull. February 2015. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 So that was that's wow. your first official one because because that going back to 2014 season, we 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 signed um your Daniel Smith. I'm just going to reel yeah. off a few Richard Moore, yeah, Scott Anderson, yeah, Paul McShane, yeah, Matt Ryan, yeah, Peter Godinay, yeah, and then Jared Summer to Nick Scruton, yeah. I, I got him more than recruitment in 2014. Yeah, I got involved in them last two, um, but the ones previous to that. Kath had done all the spade work on them. So I was literally just putting together contracts for them. Um, the Samet one and the Scruton one was interesting. We we needed a prop and we needed a halfback. And um, it, it was double-edged, really, because whilst we were certainly strengthening us, we felt that we were weakening Bradford as well. Um, so, there, you know, there was, there was kind of two elements to that at the time. But And I remember Jared's first game was against Bradford. We played him on Sky um, on a, a nighttime game, and we end up. I think I think we end up losing um, to Bradford on Sky, and Jared had literally signed the day before. So, yeah, very good. Hang on a minute, I'm lost. I vaguely remember this time as well, just off the field stuff. Um, yeah, I've heard you mention Sky came in with with an offer or one of their deals where they offered you about four hundred grand, yes. uh, only yeah. if you signed up early. Yeah, you, you, sometimes you've got to be lucky in life, haven't you? So we'd we'd taken this loan from the RFL to pay off Macron and, and the inland revenue, and we owed um, the RFL two hundred and fifty grand. Uh, and you know, myself and Chris had put property against it to to um, to hold against that against that loan. So we paid probably two or three payments, and then it came to I think it was March or April time, and we'd gone to a Super League meeting. And basically, uh, Nigel Wood had agreed a new deal with Sky, eight years, um, you know, good money. Um, but we had till five o'clock to sign it or, or Sky were pulling it off the table. And literally, we were getting presented at this at two o'clock in the afternoon. So then Nigel throws the old sweetener on the table that um, if you do sign it, there's 300 grand for you uh, straight away in your bank account tomorrow. And by the end of the meeting, it had gone up to 400K. So you can imagine what I was like, you know, I mean, just show me the, give me the pen. I'm signing right here, right now. Um, and to be fair, all the clubs, all the clubs agreed. So, yes, we got very lucky with that. I remember because of what we owed to the RFL, we got 162,000 of that 400. So you can work out the math of what we still owed on our loan. Yeah. But... It got me my house back. So uh, the missus was quite happy that that came along as well. Um, but yeah, we, we were very, very fortunate that that came along at the time because I've got to say, if, if it hadn't, you know, things might have turned out a whole lot differently to, to where we are now. Who knows what, what we might have had to do if we hadn't got that 400 grand. Uh, you mentioned early on, Michael, as well, our comparison back then against Bradford, and they managed to pay, it, they managed to save money, and we spent it. But then you look at the comparison of the two clubs these days, 
and they're still kind of struggling in championship and we're kind of a, a well-equipped Super League side as well. Yeah, you know, I think I've always had a bit of a, um, a love-hate relationship with the Bradford fans. I, th- I think they're brilliant. Uh, you know, I've been to many games where it's Wakefield Art involved and Bradford are, and their fan base is, is incredible. And to endure what they have over the past 15 years, um, I think is just testament to them. You know, but like you say, um, their, their management over probably three or four regimes uh, was, was dicey, to say the least. And, you know, I think they just needed somebody that would be honest with the fans about where they're at, what they can spend um, and, and what they can realistically achieve. And I think, to all intents and purposes, it sounds like they've got that now with Nigel. And, you know, you look back over the two years, there's never been any sort of rumours of anybody not being paid or players going without pay and that sort of thing. So it looks like they've finally got their finances in order. Um, they just had the bad luck, I think, to, to pick up on one or two guys that either didn't have the money or weren't in it for the right reasons. And, you know, the right reasons have got to be the club first. It can't be for personal gain. If you're, if you're in rugby league for personal gain, you're mad because there is no personal gain in rugby league. You've got to be in it for the right reasons. And, and I think, unfortunately, Bradford picked up on a couple of people that, that probably weren't. So, you know, it's um, like you say, it's, it, it, it's, it's been a long road for Bradford. Um, and hopefully, you know, I think all around the table, everybody wants Bradford back at the top table. You know, they're, they're, a, they're a big club that can generate a huge fan base, both home and away. Um, you know, but they've got, to, they've got to earn it by right. They can't just get propelled into the top division because we think they're going to bring a load of fans. You know, they've got to earn it on the field. I've always been a, a big advocate that it needs to happen on the field. Whether you get relegated or promoted, it's got to happen on the field. Yeah, I totally agree on that one. Um, going into 2015, we're kind of into our third coach and your kind of reign at this point. If, if you can and expand on it, what, what's kind of the logistics of kind of hiring and, and kind of relinquishing a coach? Uh, so it's, it's quite funny. I mean, Obviously, I um, Rich Rich Agar was my first coach because he was in situ when we took over. Um, I've got a lot of time for Rich. I think he uh, he's a very studious guy. He can be sulky at times, but then can't we all? Um, and he kind of rebuilt two sides um, whilst whilst he was in charge under my regime. And you know, he never ever moaned to me about what was going on off the field and what what he couldn't have compared to other clubs. He never moaned. He just got on with it. And, and I was actually away. I was away in Thailand playing football when, um, when I think Rich just decided he'd had enough. Um, you know, it had been a drain for him. I think having touched the playoffs with previous teams, you know, he knew what he could, <clears throat> he could achieve. And um, to suddenly start have to rebuild again, I think, you know, he just thought, this is, you know, I, I deserve a bit better than this. And I kind of agree with him on that. So um, I got a message from Kath whilst I was away in Thailand, just saying, you know, Rich has, Rich has um, decided to step down um, and we're going to give we're going to give Webber a shot. So I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Totally agree with that. No problem. So, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really get involved in the decision making on the um, on the Rich one. Then obviously we started great under Webber. I think we won four, drew one of our first five games under Webber. Uh, including that Richie Owen leads leads try on the night, um, 
But then we obviously, again, found it really tough going after that. And I think what, what got it for me was obviously that League Cup game where, you know, we were so far ahead and, and then they came back and won. And there's a couple of incidents during the game where you look back and think, I'm sure there was a, I'm sure there was a high tackle in the first 10 or 15 minutes, which was a sending off all day long. And I remember listening back to it and I'm sure Ben Thaler was the referee and I'm sure Ben was about to produce red and then his touch judge got involved. It was like 40 yards away saying, no, no, it's just a yeller. And like things like that, just you think, God, you know, just give us a give us a bit of luck. So there was that. And then Kermore got involved with a fight in a fight with Liam Kay. And they both get ended up getting binned. And our binning hurt us much more than Lee did, because you know, Kermore was leading us and, and covered the second row. So that really hurt us as well. And we ended up losing that game and, and Sunday night and, and was just awful. You can imagine. I mean, we'd, you know, we'd lost a load of games and then to lose to Lee in the cup in the manner that we did. So I, I spoke to Webbo on the Monday morning um, and we had a really good long chat. Webbo went away, thought about things and then basically just came back and said, look, you know, I think it's, I think it's best if I, if I stand down. Um, you know, he was really good about it as well and, and we got everything sorted. And as a, as, as a bloke and a person, you know, I've got the greatest admiration for James Webster. Uh, he gets he gets so much stick. And and yet, you know, I, I just find him a really honest bloke. Um, and I, I'll spend I'll spend time in his company every day of the week if I could. Um, I, I've got so much admiration for Webbo. So Webbo, you know, Webbo ended up going. Um, and then... I got a phone call. I got a phone call from Australia, um, and John Flatman was working for us at the time as well. And I think John had instigated it, and uh, and obviously Brian Smith name cropped up. And um, I remember talking to Brian, and I mean he came for peanuts that that first first year. He came for absolute peanuts, um, and we just sat there thinking, you know, how, how many times can Wakefield Trinity? Uh, afford to turn down a coach that's been to so many NRL grand finals and, you know, is classed as one of the greatest coaches in the world. Um, I think we'd look like absolute idiots if we didn't, if we didn't take a chance on it. So, so we did. And, you know, Brian was a, was a, yeah, had some strange uh, philosophies. Certainly not aligned to mind in what I feel is the normal world, shall we say. Um, But, he came in, he signed mm-hmm. some great players, Bill Tupu, uh, Scott Moore, obviously, swapped with, with McShane. Um, you know, he, he really, Mikey Seo did a great job. You know, he really did get us some some good signings. And Kevin Locke, obviously, Kevin Locke. Kevin Locke, yeah, I mean, how excited were we when Kevin Locke signed? And, you know, everybody's, everybody's really excited about that. But, you know, in the end, he managed to get us through the million-pound game. And for that, I will always be eternally grateful to Brian. Um, that was all, all his doing. Um, you know, after that, unfortunately, our relationship got very, very frosty. And, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and bag him. It was just a, a frosty, frosty relationship to the point where uh, he decided he could no longer work with me. And, um, and, he, and he came in and resigned. And uh, it, was as, it was as quick as I've just said it there. He literally put his head in my office and said, I'm resigning and walked out, and um, and within I think three or four days he'd left the country. 
Um, and like I say, I, you know, we we didn't get on in the end, but that's you know that happens in life. You know, you don't get on with everybody. So we were then looking for another coach, and uh, you know, I'd got a I'd got a good relationship with Chris. Um, I'd actually I went out with him after the million pound game in town, and we 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 sat and talked for ages and. The strange thing is after the million pound game, in fact, the entire day, I didn't have one single drink. And I went uptown and there's all these fans uptown and they're all celebrating. And I just took it all in um, and just went from pub to pub with, with a load of mates, but didn't actually have a drink. I just sat there and enjoyed it. Talked to Chris. So I'd, I'd gone on really well with him. Obviously, he'd just been sacked by Paul KR. Um, and I, I talked to him again after that. I mean, we had some really good applicants, but I just felt Chris was a really good fit for us. He obviously knew Wakefield. He was a fan. His family were fans. Um, he knew what we could provide, what we couldn't provide. Uh, and he just came in and, and, and told the lads, basically, you know, go out and enjoy yourselves. And that first 12 games, I think we won 10 of them. And we played some of the best rugby. Um, just, you know... Throwing it about, there's obviously the 62 nil against Wigan in there, but we beat we beat some top top teams. Uh, you know, going away to Leeds on Easter Monday uh, and winning there with Craig Hall's spectacular full lengther in in the last minute. Uh, I still watch it back now and think he's going to drop it at some point. So it was it was a really good time, and and, and you know Chris, I think Chris was a fantastic Wakefield Trinity coach. You know to finish. What we did in Super League, two top fives, you know, an eighth, a ninth. I mean, that 2019 season, I still remember the 3rd of May, Huddersfield away, Tia Rona does his ACL. We still win the game with a late penalty by Rocky to, to win 27-26. Um, and we're third in the league. And suddenly we're just, we'd already lost Bill, we'd already lost Tom. Um, we got hit with a horrendous set of injuries that ultimately led us to, to still being potentially relegated on the final day of the season. Um, uh, but that's just how, how sport goes sometimes. Uh, and even in the last two years, you know, so many factors that worked against what Chris was trying to achieve. COVID, you know, we, we, we fulfilled every fixture that we, we were destined to, to fill. Um, it was only other teams dropping out on us that meant we didn't fulfill every single fixture. Uh, and we did that on the back of sometimes losing eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 players to COVID. Um, so it was, it, it was a really, really sad day for me when, you know, we made that call. The board made the call um, after the Huddersfield away game. But I just, felt, I just felt it was the right decision at the right time because I felt, and I, I think Chris will admit this now, that it was the right time for him as well after five years and, and certainly the last two years where him and his family had had to put up with a hell of a lot of personal abuse, uh, which let me tell you, and I, I haven't had, you know, I haven't had 10% of what Chris had to put up with, but I've certainly still had some in my time. And it is the most draining factor of, of anything involved in this job is having to, to read or listen to somebody giving you personal abuse for you trying to do the job to the best of your ability. I don't think we've got anybody at Wakefield Trinity that does not try and do their job to the best of their ability. Sometimes that isn't good enough. I can accept that. But to be personally abused 
for trying your hardest, I just think is out of order, completely out of order. And there's a couple of times where it's got to me, and I've you know I've, I've been to I've been to see somebody. I'm not I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, and I felt Chris was at that point as well. So it was a really sad day for me because he's a very very good friend, and he still is a very good friend. And that's that was probably what made it the hardest of all. Um, and again, I make no apologies for for saying he is a good friend because he is. And and again, that shouldn't be uh, something that is that is mocked. You can work with people and still be really good friends and still have to make decisions like we made. So, you know, we've got to be professional about that. But the the the, the regime under Chris should be looked back at as a highly successful regime in Super League because that, I, I don't think it's been surpassed. Superb stuff, Michael. I think it's I think you speak right there in terms of social media can be such a positive sometimes, but it, it gives kind of the, the voiceless a bit of a voice, really, doesn't it? It kind of opens up people for a bit of personal criticism when they definitely don't need it. It, it does, and I think you've got to always be mindful that you may be saying something with the best of intentions. You don't know what effect that's having on the person at the other end. You don't know what his mental state is like. You don't know, you know, what his situation is like at all. Um, so I think you've just got to be mindful of anything that you say to people that is criticism. You know, sometimes people say to me, they justify it because it's constructive criticism. Codswallop. Absolute codswallop. If you've got no good to say, say now, as my granddad's used to say. Um, praise somebody. Lift them up. We all need to be lifted from time to time. And I think you know, 99% of our fan base are like that, mate. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying we are we are the worst fan base ever. Absolutely not. 99%. I get emails week in, week out, you know, saying how well the team have done or, or how well the club's done in this area. Um, it's just like you say, that that 1% have now been given a voice via social media that makes them the loudest. And, you know, I just, it, it does get to me. That is that is one part of the job that that still gets to me after all this time. Um, and I mean, I've come off social media now. I've got I've got Facebook, but that's friends and family only. I don't I don't you know sort of interact with anybody else outside of friends and family. Um, but I still, from time to time, get mates sending me screenshots of stuff that has gone on. To which my reply is: there is a reason why I came off social media. I don't want to read it. So, you know, I think they've finally got the message as well that it's, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just better off out of it. And I think you're finding that probably more and more players are feeling that way as well, which is really sad because I know going back five or six years, you know, the interaction between players and, and supporters was probably really, really good. But it's just that element now of, of damning criticism that, seems to be loudest rather than any sort of praise when things go right. So it's a really sad indictment on society in general. Um, but I just think, you know, we've got certain voices that just need to have a think about what effect they can have on other people. I need to set up a, a new Facebook page about just purely positive and get rid of, a, <laughs> you know, the North standards and this red, white and blue. They're very good. But then, like you just said, there's a lot of negative stuff on there. We could yeah. set up a one just purely positive and wipe off the negative altogether. <laughs> like I say, man, I think we I think we forget that, you know, as I say, if you've now good to say, just stay quiet. You don't need to 
have a, a negative effect on everybody around you. Um, you know, but that uh, listen, that's just a personal thought. So, you know, I, I can't see it getting any better, unfortunately, on social media. Yeah. I mean, definitely with a with a Willie poaching appointment and kind of, I mean, I'm not saying that where the, the shining light, but definitely with this podcast, we're trying to get a bit more positivity out there. I'll say it because you're not online, but a lot of Wakefield-based Twitter and Facebook is very positive at the minute. So that's really great to see it as well. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. And that's why I wanted to to sort of make the point at Pains that, you know, I'm, I'm talking about a very, very small minority, here, 1%, as I say, everybody else over the last eight, nine years, when I've met people in the shop, or met people walking around the ground, wherever it might be, you know, vast, vast, vast majority have been super positive and proud about Wakefield Trinity. And, um, you know, so I, I can't thank them people enough. It's it, what, they, what they've done for me at times is absolutely fantastic. And sort of giving me the will, uh, when, when things are down a little bit, giving me the will to carry on. Um, so yeah, I absolutely praise them to high heaven. Ninety-nine percent of them are brilliant and fantastic. Last question about kind of a stress of that time period. Tell us about that million-pound game week against Bradford. It's 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 strange looking back because in the run-up to it, I honestly didn't feel stressed. I get more stressed now. I got more stressed last week getting ready to face St. Ellen's than I did in the million-pound game. I can't mm. explain it. I just. I don't know whether I'd buried my head in the sand or or what, but I just I didn't feel anything in in the run up to the game. And then I remember the game starting, and I, I felt pretty comfortable. And uh, I think it was just that sort of last 10, 15 minutes. I think when you know when uh, Addy gets the penalty, and and he uh, and uh, the the referee kindly moves it five yards in field for him, so he can have a better shot at goal. Yeah. And then he missed, and and I think it was at that point where I suddenly started getting nervous. And I remember uh, that led to a dropout, didn't it? And Jordan Tansey took the dropout, and I'm sure he led the charge up the field. And suddenly we got, I'm sure we got like 50 meters away from the line, uh, and it was a really good dropout and a really good kick chase. And and then suddenly all these nerves kicked into me, and I'm like biting my fingernails. I'm I'm not looking at, at the field. I'm turning round and. It was just a really bad 15 minutes. And then I think you can see that explode on Sky when Scott Moore scores and suddenly I'm punching the air and <laughs> shouting and all this sort of thing. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it was, that was just a, a, a brilliant feeling in a really, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, a, a kind of really, not a, not a great time because you're also mindful on the other side of it that this player sat down there crying their eyes out because they've lost the game of rugby league. And, you know, should we ever be in a, a state where it's actually causing that much anguish to players and fans and administrators and, and all that sort of thing? So, you know, obviously delighted for us, but at the same time, mindful of the effects that it has on other people around you. Um, and I think that's why I didn't really go out drinking afterwards. I, I just wanted to sort of watch everybody else, I think. Um but yeah, it's, it, it was a real strange one. I, I, I honestly didn't feel any sort of stress in the run-up to that week. Um, now I'm an absolute bag of nerves looking forward to a game. It's, uh, you know, it, it's something that um, I can't control. I can, if, if the game's close, and this happened on Friday, uh, on, in the Catalans game, um, I end up shaking. I'm, 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 
and I feel really cold and it, it's all it's all to do with the stress of the game. Um, <laughs> I've got to find a way now of just calming myself down during a game. So probably need to think back to that 2015 week and try and work out what it was that had kept me so calm. I also read somewhere, um, it was an interview we did many years ago, lots of ifs, ifs, buts and maybes. But if we had have lost that and gone down, would you have walked away? Uh, I, I think I said that in the instant aftermath. I think what, what would have been hard was the off, would have been the off-season. Mm -hmm. uh, it would have been tremendously hard. The hard now, when you're trying to get players to re-sign and you're trying to get players to sign for your club, it's, it's a tough time because... Let's face facts, you know, Wakefield, uh, Wakefield Trinity are not a St. Helens or a Wigan at this moment in time. So, you know, we have to be, we have to be really sort of cute with our recruitment and our re-signings, um, and that can prove difficult at times. Looking back now to if we had a loss, you know, we would almost certainly have had to go part-time. I don't think there's any doubt about that, that the club would have had to revert back to part-time status. I don't think it could have it could have fulfilled a full-time role. Uh, certainly the on-field players. I just, I just don't see how the finances would have worked. It was tough enough at that time as it, as it was with the full Super League central distribution. So to lose the majority of that would have been very difficult. So I think it would have been part-time. I think it, it could have been a really good part-time championship club if we had gone down. You know, I think the a lot of the fans would have stayed with us. So I would have hoped that we could at least average 3,000 a week. I think our sponsors are very loyal to us and I think they would have stuck with us. Um, so there were, you know, the, the, there were those bits that are sort of major parts of your budget and your spend that could have made us a really good force within the championship. And I look at someone like Witness now, who've obviously started the season really, really well. They're now fan-owned. They've cut the cloth accordingly. And they look like they're in a really good place. And I think that's where we could have got to. What I'm not sure about is whether I'd have had the appetite to go through all of that. Having done the hard yards in 2013 and 14, I'm not sure I would have relished doing it again. So I, I think I made the statement afterwards that, yeah, I would have walked away. I don't know if I would, but I honestly don't know if I'd have stayed either. Uh, Thankfully, it's you know one of them decisions I didn't have to make, um, and I, I still probably can't answer it now. Good stuff. Glad you stayed. We've we've done all right since. <laughs> um, just going back on the field, uh, 2016, uh, the big bopper David Fafita arrived. He yeah. must be one of the most charismatic signings you've ever made. Um, <laughs> well, how, how do you go? How do you go about signing NRL players? Do we have scouts or do agents contact you? Because we we've signed some good ones over the years. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to question how you spelt charismatic because it might be spelt differently in my book. Um, generally, I mean, you know, some clubs do go to Australia and, and go out there and meet agents and, and look at games and stuff like that. Look, we, we've never been in that boat where we've got enough money to send me to Australia for two weeks to go and, you know, recruit this, that, and the other. So we're generally relying on agents coming to us. Um, it's worked because I think, again, You've got to know where your pecking order is. Um, if you've got a Jonathan Thurston coming out of the NRL, where's he going to go first? He's going to go calling at Wigan, Saints, Warrington, because he knows that's who pays the big money. So you've got to know your pecking order. But equally, 
I think it allows us to find players that have just slipped through the gap, slipped through the cracks in the pavement. Um, and Dave Fafita probably fell into that category. You know, he was, I think he'd only played something like eight NRL games uh, and was in kind of the shadow of his brother at the time. Wanted to prove himself, really wanted to, to come and be the main man at a club. Um, and it also goes down to relationships between head coach and, and player. So Chesie and Chesie and Dave got on like a house on fire. And that's that's probably primarily why we ended up getting getting Dave. And equally with Kalepi. You know, Chesie had Chesie had spoken to Kalepi, I think 18 months before he got here. And he'd just done, or he, shortly afterwards, he did his ACL. But within all that time when he was out, Chesie was always talking to him, always communicating with him. And, and, you know, letting him know that if he got himself back right, you know, we'd still be interested in, in taking him. So I think certainly with the Kleppy one, the head coach relationship was absolutely massive with that. Um, but generally, you just get, you'll, you'll get an agent phone you up and just say, you know, I've got so-and-so. Um, have you got any quota spots? You know, and, and generally my answer, if once I've asked the head coach whether he, it's a player he fancies, my answer is usually, you know, how much you're looking for. And then you swallow hard, you try and knock it down by 50% and then try and do a deal. So, I mean, some of the numbers they come out at you in the first phone call are, uh, you know, you, you tend to put the phone down and just have a good chuckle to yourself to start with. Um, but, you know, we've, we've picked up some good players. I think, um, you know, as a clubman to your owner, being absolutely fantastic and a, I think, to be fair, started the season so well. Um, you know, he's 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 clearly looking for another deal. Last year, a contract. So I'll, I'll say that specifically for T, in case he's in case he listens. He's earning um, it at the moment. He's earning it. He, he is, mate. You know, he is. And there's a again, you know, internally, I kind of chuckle to myself at times because you always you always laugh to yourself at those that are in the last year of contract. You you do it's. It's true what they say. There does seem to be an extra special effort in that last year of contract. So, um, you know, T's been great. Uh, you know, obviously Bill's been out for, for nearly a year now, but Bill's been a great player for us. Uh, obviously Dave is, Dave is Dave. I think, you know, the last 18 months, he's been in a really happy place and that's shown on the field. You know, I, he didn't miss a game last year. Um, the only player to, to play every game. So, you know, Dave's been really happy and I think, you know, he can relate as well to a, to a coach like Willie. I think the good thing with Willie is he commands the respect of all the players because he's played at the highest level and he's and he's won things at the highest level. So he's got that respect um, and the players the players are buying into it. So, you know, again, somebody like Jai Whitbread, um, you know, Lee went down, he had a rele relegation clause. We, you know, get, get a phone call from his agent. Are you interested? We need a prop, um, so you do a deal. And I keep forgetting Jai's only 23. Um, you know, he's, he's got so much talent and so much potential still to come. So I think Jai's a great signing for us. Um, have you ever been offered anybody a big, big name down under? I thought, oh, I'd love him, but I can't afford him. I have. And for once, my memory is going to fail me now because I do remember, even in the, even in the recent past, I'm going to throw names like, Josh Dugan, for example, um, who I think was out of contract at Cronulla Sharks. Um, oh, God, I'm trying to think of others off the top of my head. Corey Norman, 
you know, was was on the market for a while. Um, but, uh, you know, you've got to be careful with the overseas players because they're coming into a, a climate that's clearly foreign to them. Um, take some adjusting. You know, we I'm very much a sun worshipper, so I'd rather be sat in 30 degrees than, than zero degrees. And, you know, some of these players, that's where they're at, that they live in climates that are very, very hot. And Wakefield in the middle of January... Uh, down in the changing rooms may not what may not what be what they envisaged when they were signing. So you've got to do your due diligence. And I think you know I was just thinking then about the player that probably gets more stick than anybody, our club captain Jacob Miller. And yet I just you know he's been here since 2015, um, and it, for me is you know continually proves to be a, a great player. Um, puts his heart and soul into everything he does. Uh, you know, ticks batterings week after week after week. He's not one of these halfbacks that flings himself to the floor trying to, to gain a penalty. Um, I just think he's been a super player for us, and yet he seems to be the one that gets most of the stick. We, we have touched on it already, Michael, but tell us about Mark Applegarth and, and kind of the youth setup we've got there. I, in my opinion, I know I'm a Wakefield fan, but we've got the most underrated youth youth system in, in the country. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was something we put great store in eight years ago. You know, I, I remember launching that fans forum and saying, look, Club 1873, we need to get people signed up to this. This is where our future is. We've got to bring kids through. We got really lucky with a batch that included Tom, Max and Geordie. Um, they were already in the system and you know, thankfully, they've stayed with us and, and we've managed to keep retain those players. I just think you look at the uh, the depth of our squad now, and I know, having talked to Willie, that if we had to play a Sam Essay, a Pat O'Donovan, we've already seen Isaac, Lewis Murphy, um, you know, Dane Windrow, there'd be no qualms about playing them. Absolutely no qualms about playing them. Corey Hall's 19. Absolutely no qualm about playing him. You know, Bill missed the start of the season. Corey's the next man up. In he goes, being absolutely outstanding, 19 years old. So I, I just love the fact that we've got a coach that will trust the players, trust the kids uh, to do a job. Uh, equally, he knows when they need reining back, when they're not quite ready. Um, you know, I think it's no secret this week we're going to struggle at centre because of who we lost on Friday night. Crofty played 40 minutes in the, in the reserves on Saturday. But the last thing we need to do is rush him back after an ACL when he's been out for 11 months. So, you know, I, I just think the head coach and, and, the, and the assistants, Mash and, and Franny Cummins, just have their finger on the pulse as to when to play the kids, when not to play the kids and get that timing right. And it, and, and it is, you know, I, there's some disappointment at times from young kids. I know Yusuf was disappointed not to be in the, in the 17 last week, but, you know, he's still only 22. And... You know, he'd been to Catalans and played. You go to Saints, big, big pack. You know, it's it's a really difficult balancing act. But I think Mash has done a fantastic job ever since um, I've been here. And, uh, you know, that that youth system, I can't take any credit for it. He's he's developed that. He's he's ran with it. He's run it. Um, he's got some really good coaches involved. Jamie Field. You know, we, what we've been really keen to do is, is involve ex-players as well within our setup because... Again, they get what Wakefield's about and they have a pride in, in Wakefield Trinity. So that sort of thing is really, really important. Um, but yeah, you know, Mash, uh, Mash is, 
you know, I think in the fullness of time, he's going to have expectations where he wants to prove himself as a head coach. And when I spoke to him about becoming an assistant head coach, I did say to him that, you know, your next move might actually be away from the club. If you want to be a head coach, your next, you know, your next move might be a championship club where you are the head coach. But ultimately, leading back to you coming back here as a head coach. So, you know, only time will tell on that on that career path. But I've got nothing but good things to say about Mark Applegarth. And it's interesting, just looking at our call, I know our viewers won't see the pictures, but I've got a really receding hairline. And you two are bald as coots. And that's where Mash is now, despite him having his youth picture, which shows a fringe like Clopper Castle, if you remember that kid's programme. So I'll just give him some stick for that as well. I think a lot goes down to Chizzy for that as well, because obviously... From 16 to 18, we had three consecutive top eight finishers, and that helps a lot in recruiting young lads to come to a club who are, who are finishing higher up the table as well, if, if, if you agree yeah. with that. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And listen, we know, again, back to pecking order, we know we're not Leeds Vinyls. We know that Warrington have got an indoor 4G heated barn. We haven't got that. We train at Sandal. We train at Dewsbury. Um, you know, hopefully the redevelopment will, will help with that as well. But what we do offer, and this is what we say to the kids all the time, is opportunity if you're good enough at an early age you will play so you know harry bowles isaac shaw um you know all those all those kids that have made their debut over the last year or so um have had the opportunity have have, have taken it have performed well and have stayed in the first team squad um you know Corey hall really couldn't get a look in at leeds was coming here and started every game so again opportunity to play super league what do you want to do? Do you want the easy ride where you sit in the reserves and, you know, bide your time? Or do you want to be playing Super League? And I think we've got a group of hungry young players that want to be playing Super League week in, week out. So that's what we try to do. To When we're, when we're recruiting scholarship and academy, I think that figures highly on the agenda is opportunity. The second thing that we always figure with them is education. I always say to them that education comes first. For you kids, you've got to get your education right. Because guess what? You might not become a Super League player. Even if you become a Super League player, it won't set you up for life. Don't be kidded into thinking, you know, you're going to get footballers' wages for the rest of your life because you're not. So you've got to get your education right. And I think parents really appreciate that, that sort of honest outlook on where we see. And I know for a fact we've had kids that have misbehaved at school or college and we've dropped them from our academy scholarship sides and stop them training until they correct their habits. Um, and again, I think, I think parents really appreciate that. So I think if you talk to any parents of our academy kids, scholarship kids, they see that the club are trying to do the right things by their kids, but equally providing an opportunity at the end of it as well. Very good. Um... Just looking at coming back to the side, in your time at Trinity, you've you've signed or given debuts to 95 players. Oh, wow. 95. Yeah. Who, do you, who, do you, who do you reckon your best signing's been? Or the one you've been most proud of? Best signing, God. Um oh, you should have given me the list of 95 before and oh, I should have um, should have given you heads up, shouldn't I? Yeah, best signing. I mean, I, you know what, you you'd throw T in there. Um, I think he's been absolute quality. Uh, you know, if we're looking at, if we're talking pure signings, I mean, getting Tom to re-sign on three or four occasions, um, you know, when, when everybody 
thought that he would, you know, leave and, and go on to pastures new. Um, that's been really important. Uh, you know, Dave in his own way. Um, Milky, my club captain. Um, you must be proud of Reese Lynn. You've got to go from where Reese Lynn's gone from when yeah. you found him to turning out in an England shirt. Yeah, I just come into them. Well, there's two really. So there's Reese Lynn. I mean, he played eight games for Hull when we signed him. And again, it was Rich Agar signed him. Another one that got, got a lot of stick in the first couple of years and now is in an England shirt, you know, performs week in, week out for us. Um, and he's coming up to a testimonial year. And you'll probably tell me the last player that did a full 10 years at Wakefield Trinity and got a testimonial. Yeah, I think you're looking back at the March twins, David March. Yeah, yeah. That's, so, that's sort of on the border 20 years ago. Absolutely. So I think that, again, shows how much value we've out of, had out of Reese Lynn. And listen, that you know, I've upgraded him three or four times in the last five years because he's gone to another level. Uh, and he's, you know, he's, he's now one of our top earners, but rightly so. You know, he's, he's performed for us week in, week out. I think where, I'll, where I'd finish on the signings is somebody that I convinced to stay rather than leave, Danny Kermond. He yeah. could have easily gone to Salford at that time when, when we were selling. Um, you know, he'd, he'd just been promised a, a new deal by the previous regime. Uh, we honoured that, even though I felt, you know, we couldn't really afford it at the time. However, the service he gave up after that and the the galvanisation that he got into that group to get us through a tricky time, a really, really tricky time, I'd probably say that retaining Kermo was probably the best move I've made on a playing front. Very good. Excellent. Um, many years ago, about two or three years ago, I asked you to name your best 13 again in, in, your, in your time. Right. I'm going to go through it one by one, see if you still agree with it, see if there's any change. Right. At full back, you picked Richard Mathers. Yeah, I thought I did. I thought I did. I, I liked Richie. Um, a very, very good... I mean, for somebody that moved about a lot, he was an excellent club man for Wakefield Trinity. And even now, uh, whenever I see or, or hear him speak, you know, it speaks highly of his time here. So I tell you what I would do now, and, God, this will be controversial with a, with a few of them. I know, but, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I'm looking back to that 17, 18 year, I thought Grixie was outstanding for two years. Um, so potentially, I may be making a transfer and going to Scott Griggs. Very good. Uh, wingers, Tom Johnston, Ben Jones-Bishop. Yeah, um, certainly Tom. I don't think there's any qualms about, about putting Tom there. And uh, I mean, it's early days for, it's early days for Tom Lynham. Um, I think Bish was quality. You know, real, real quality. Never looked like he was moving and yet just glided away from everybody. Safe as houses under the high ball. Um, yeah, I probably wouldn't swap them. Yeah, they were brilliant. Some of their tries. I was. I remember sitting in the stand with my dad and bear in mind, my dad's been watching to his 40s and 50s. And he said, when, it, when they were scoring, he says, it's just like watching some of the wingers from the 60s. Yeah. And I sat back and thought, wow, they must be good. Yeah, yeah. Your centres, Bill Tupu, Reese, Bill Tupu, Reese Lynn. Yeah, I mean, Reese. For sure. Um, obviously, Bill has now had a year out without injury. I, that shouldn't mask what he did before that. Uh, i tell you what I have done. I'm, I'm really excited with how COVID started. For somebody that's 19 years old, um, 
I don't know if you've you've watched the game at Saints or you've or you've seen the seen the replay. Yeah, um, we went, we went. Yeah, yeah. I mean that one-on-one tackle he made on Harrell five yards <laughs> out, uh, where he smashed man, ball, and everything, and stopped Conrad Harrell getting over the line from five yards was outstanding. Um, I think there's a big, big future ahead of Corey Hall. So I'll leave Bill for now, but Corey's chasing on his tails. Yeah, exciting stuff. Your halfbacks, Jacob Miller, Liam Finn. Yeah, I mean, uh, Finney was a Finney was the general, wasn't he? Finney, he played at his own pace. Yeah. He got us around the park. And again, probably going back to them, them two years where I felt really comfortable going anywhere and, and thinking we could win. Um, so that was that was that was a really good time to be to be a CEO of a club. Um, I would say that Mason is probably just tugging at, at Finney's finished tailcoats now and you know the, the season he had last year how we finished you know it took him some time to settle but how we finished and you know you score a try you know that 90% of the time that's going to be six points rather than four points which is a massive thing in Super League so you know Mason's Mason can get better for us as well so we'll we'll throw Mason in the mix there but I'm keeping Milky Milky's my man yeah he's, he's one of my favourites is Milky and when you talk about Mason um I've never seen it. The bloke can kick goals from anywhere. I've never seen yeah. a kick as good in my time, in, in the more recent time, and I think he's, he's a belter. Might um, try and see if he can kick one from Arthur Street. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your prop forwards, Nick Scruton and T. Arona. Right. Uh, now, probably going to be some changes there. Depends who I've got at second row as well, because I'm going to throw Dave in there. I think, you know, Dave is, is the one that packs the punch for us and Gets everybody excited. So I'll, throw, I'll definitely throw a Dave in there. Who's me two second rowers, Lee? Because that might have a, a bearing. Matty Ashurst, Daddy Kermond. Right. Yeah. See, so yeah. Right. So I'm going to throw a Kleppi in at front row. And then oh, that'll, yeah. That'll, yeah. that'll make everybody everybody hate me even more because apparently he's definitely a second rower. So <laughs> um, let's let's throw Dave and, Dave and Kleppi into me front row. Hooker, Kyle Wood. Yeah, I mean, Carl was excellent. Uh, really, really, you know, good club man, uh, life and soul of the party, and still performing now, you know, in, in that pre-season game against Halifax, I thought he was excellent. So, yeah, Carl's a, Carl's a good shout. I've got high hopes for Liam Hood, but I think Carl's, Carl's a decent shout. And last one, you look forward, uh, Danny Washbrook. Right. So just, just going back to the second row, obviously, Tashin and, and Kermo, I wouldn't remove either of them. I said how important Kermo was, but I'll throw Pitsy in there. Um, I think he's been absolutely outstanding since he signed and uh, such a leader, such a leader in that change room. So he'd definitely be on me interchange bench with Pitsy. Um, and then Washi at, Washi at 13. Yeah. He, he was only with us for a year, but Westy was fantastic. Mm. Westy was was brilliant. So I've got to weigh up Wash's two years against Westy's one year. Um, I mean, everybody, when I signed Westy, everybody's like, oh, he's going to be trouble. He's going to be this and that and the other. I never got one single second of trouble from Westy. He was constantly coming up for a chat and a coffee and um, and played brilliantly for us as well. Absolutely was outstanding. So, yeah, might have Westy just pushing Washy out. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And you've had five coaches in your time. Which which of your five would coach that team? Oh, well, it'd either be Chesie or Willie. Um, 
you know, I'm really, I'm really excited with where Willie can take us. Uh, you know, I think he's, he's such a, he's, he's got such respect from everybody. Um, wants to play in the right way. You know, how many times have we been to Saints and just try to grind it out and get away with, you know, not getting a battering? You know, on, on Friday night, we actually played. We tried to play ourselves out of our 10, out of our 20. We threw it around. We made more line breaks than any team as against Saints in the last God knows how long. Um, so, you know, I'd probably, probably go with Willie, but definitely an honourable mention, mention to Chesney. I mean, I thought we played some really excellent stuff in 17 and 18 and uh, and he was the coach that masterminded that. So, yeah, 50-50 on it. I'll sit on the fence for once. We can have co-coaches, can't we? Co-coaches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, just as we start to wind down, Michael, just just tell us about kind of the struggles of running a Super League club during during COVID, especially that first kind of wave when kind of the world stopped, really. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, thankfully, the government, the council, uh, and other people came to our aid because you know the furlough scheme was invaluable. Um, we got grants from the council that helped with business rates and stuff like that. Again, invaluable. Uh, the we had to take the DCMS loan. From through the rugby league, which again got us through, got us through the worst. And obviously, all the staff, the players, the coaches, the off-field staff, all took um, you know kind of a ten percent pay cut at that time as well. So again, that was that was a massive factor in everything we did. And after we'd got those events done, the rest of it, from a financial operational uh, point of view wasn't too hard. Um, I don't want to make it sound blasé when I say that, but genuinely it wasn't too hard with everything that was going, going on in the world. On the field, you know, there was clearly some real difficulties. We were testing every day, um, you know, players going down with COVID and, and wiping out another five because there'd been close contacts. You know, you just, you'd pick a team on a Wednesday, do team run, and by the time you got to Friday, half of them had changed. So you know, that's probably what I talked about with the mitigating factors with Chesie is that he just didn't know who he was going to be able to pick and trying to put, uh, you know, a team together that had any sort of uh, cohesion uh, was really, really difficult. So it was probably harder on the, on the field with everything that it involved than it was off the field. I think where it's more difficult now is back to off the field because Whilst it was great to get through that period with furlough and what have you and, 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 and taking the loans, now we're in a period where we've got to repay the loans. So that's a difficult part of it. And we've come to a time where the TV deal is down and that's cost us the best part of 450 grand. So suddenly you're thinking, right, you know, this is, this is now the really, really difficult time. And for the first time ever in a financial year, I forecast a loss at our club. Um, which I hate doing because I've always said that, you know, the, the balancing line will be the first team spend. And that's what we, you know, when we get back to break even, that's what we'll be able to afford to spend. So we're not doing that this year. We, we've a calculated loss. Um, and then we've got to work really, really hard this year to get our revenue streams up. And that's the challenge that we've set ourselves internally to get us back to the break even that we've always tried to um, managing the in the previous years. Now, the loss is mitigated this year because we actually did make small profits in the previous two years, thanks to the schemes that 
um, I've talked about. So, you know, it's not, not doom and gloom on that front. It's something that we've carefully considered and, and calculated and we're comfortable that where we're at is something that we can, we can manage and, and, and manage our way out of. But what it is going to take is every single fan, supporter, sponsor, um, you name it, you know, really coming back on board in a big way um, because I've got to get our revenue streams back up to where they were pre, pre-COVID. And, you know, that, that £450,000 hole from the, from the central distribution it is not easily filled. Um, so, you know, we've got to improve our retail. We've got to improve our drinks on a, on a game day, um, you know, more fans into the ground, all that sort of thing. Uh, uh, you know, we've got to work really hard to get that to get that to be better. So, difficult challenges ahead, um, but something that the board are more than comfortable in facing head on, and uh, and and are happy to um, you know take up the challenge of, of, of filling that hole. Really, so it's um, yeah. This is <laughs> this is probably the trickier time than it was two years ago. I actually quite enjoyed certain times going to a ground with no fans in it because if you were playing for example Saints away and they haven't got 12,000 screaming for an offside on tackle three <laughs> it actually made it a whole lot more enjoyable so I think um, I think the refs probably enjoyed it a little bit as well that there wasn't anybody shouting at them for for four or five months um, but it was you know and we've also got to put all that into context that there's some really terrible things going on in the world at that time, you know, and, and let's be honest, we we enjoy a game, but that's all it is. It is a game. Um, so we need to just be mindful that there are other people out there that are suffering way more than us. And, and that's probably not, you know, uh, more appropriate than it is this week with what's gone on in, in Europe over the week. So it probably takes me back to my point, Jamie, about, about negativity and positivity. Let's be thankful for what we have got and what we can enjoy because there are people sat at home right now in, in the Ukraine probably watching bombs with past the front window, you know, and all we've got to put up with is a dodgy decision on tackle three. So, <laughs> you know, let's, let's just be thankful for where we are. And that brings me to my last question, Michael. On Monday the 28th, uh, 2022 on February, are you sat there as a happy man? Yeah, I am. I am. And, you know, I... <laughs> I went on holiday in January, the day we played Featherstone. And obviously it didn't go to plan at Featherstone and we got beat and we got out for, and I, I haven't even watched the game back. I've seen a couple of the tries, but I haven't watched the game back. And for the first three days of my holiday, it really affected me. I, all I could think about was the fact we'd lost to Fev. And then suddenly it dawned on me that, you know what, it was a pre-season game and it didn't count for anything. And the players might have got some fitness out of it and they might have actually you know, had a few rockets about what they did and didn't do on the game. Um, and today, even though we've lost three in a row, I'm sat here relatively happy. Yes, we'd have loved the result in one of them games or two of them or three of them games. Um, but really pleased about how we played. Really pleased about where we are in the community as, a, as an entity that I think you can ask anybody that's had any involvement with Wakefield Trinity. And there's there shouldn't be too many stories out there that are negative about us from a, from a finance or an operational or a community point of view. So I think we've got a club that we can be really proud of. All of us can be really proud of. Um, and for that reason, I'm happy. And I'll be even happier 
on Thursday if we just sneak a little two points to put on the board. So mm. actually, I've got a really good idea that Super League won't take me up on, but I think every club should start the season on two points. It has no effect at the end of the year and it gets that monkey off everybody's back before <laughs> we even start. So, but nobody seems to want to take me up on that idea. No. So there we go. My last question, uh, if I may, what's Michael Carter like away from rugby? Tell us about the man when you're not at rugby. When you, can, you, can you switch oh, off and can you sort of no. go cook for your wife? No, uh, I mean, absolutely, you should be asking Tracy this, but uh, no, I have great difficulty in switching off and that is something I've got to get better at for sure. Um, you know, we, like I say, we went on holiday in, in January and then first three days she knew all I was thinking about was that game at Feb on, on the Sunday when I should have been just laid around the pool enjoying enjoying some sunshine. So absolutely, I've got to get better at switching off. I, I think I've got better, but I've still got to get a whole lot better at that as well. I think away from it, I, I now enjoy watching my son play football. I enjoy watching Tracy's kids play rugby. Joe's now down in, in London, um, trying to become a fashion designer, which is, is fantastic. And I've got a great wife and, you know, my dad's still knocking about and drives me crazy, but I won't change him for the world. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really, really lucky. I've got a really fantastic life and I'm really lucky. And I, and I'm, I, I, thank, I thank the powers that be that, you know, I have got a life like that. So again, like, like I said, you know, sometimes we just got to be grateful for what we have got because there's a lot of people out there that are not as fortunate as that. So I've, I've never had any qualms about my life, Lee. Um, I wouldn't swap it, anything in it for a heartbeat. I've done what I I could do or wanted to do. Um, I'm really proud of the involvement I've had at Wakefield Trinity, but equally before that in the bus industry and everything like that, I was, you know, I, I think the one thing I always try to gauge myself with was, would my mum be happy with me? And I think she would. So that's kind of how I always reconcile myself. Um, would, would my mum be happy with with what action I've taken there or what I've done there. And, you know, I think she, I think she was always proud of me and I think she still would be if she was here. So, um, yeah, uh, I need to switch off more, but equally, the bug gets you, doesn't it? The, the thing that's called Wakefield Trinity gets you. I was never this passionate about Hull FC. So, <laughs> it's just, that's how it goes, isn't it? You get introduced to this roller coaster and it, and it bugs you. So, yeah, it's brilliant, mate. I, you know, I um, I'm very very fortunate. A lovely poignant point to uh, to finish on there, Michael. Thank you for giving us an hour and a half of your time. We mentioned an hour at the point, but you, you end up we end up just chatting, and it's, it feels like it's gone by very very quickly. Thank you so much for coming on and, and giving us your time. No, my pleasure, guys. And uh, yeah, it's been brilliant. I've really really enjoyed it, reminiscing down there uh, memory lane. So I soon have ten years. I want my testimonial, Lee. Ten years. Yeah, and, can I write uh, your book? And uh, well, I'm thinking more about a heritage number as well. Surely I can <laughs> I can sneak on for two minutes in the last game of the season and do what John Ryan did at Doncaster Rovers and get myself a heritage number. So there we go. Excellent stuff. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 12 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. You can find us on all podcasting platforms worldwide and follow us on Facebook under Wakefield Trinity Heritage and Twitter at WT Heritage Pod for all further information and real-time updates on the podcast. Massive thank you to my co-host, Lee Robinson. Thank you to Wakefield Trinity Chief Executive, Michael Takata, and I have been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road.
Hi, it's Kami Triskamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable.